speaking with Grammy-nominated composer, producer, uh, musician Scott Healy. Uh, Scott was recently nominated for a Grammy for Best Instrumental Composition for Coco on the Boulevard uh, from his Hudson City Suite, which is a fantastic album, by the way, and is currently available on CD and digital download via Amazon and iTunes. You can also see Scott uh, Mondays through Thursdays on TBS as part of the basic cable band on Conan. Scott has been with Conan for over 20 years now and has been there from the start of Late Night uh, to The Tonight Show and currently uh, with Conan on TBS. Scott, thanks so much for uh, talking today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, so to start, I would love to know uh, what music means to you personally and what kind of led you to pursue music, uh, performing, and composing as a career. That's a really good question. Uh, music, I would say, means everything to me. Uh, as long as I can remember, I've been hearing music and thinking about music and playing music and uh, just making it part of my life. Uh, I just remember looking up at the keyboard at the piano when I was just a little kid, you know, maybe three or four years old, reaching up and playing the playing the ivories and listening to the sounds and listening to television and uh, and records in my dad's collection and just thinking about you know thinking about how it was resonating with me even as a you know as a five-year-old I could I could I could still sort of feel that wonder and that uh, that excitement of hearing notes and sort of understand understanding intuitively what's going on I think um, that really uh, sort of formed you know you know, you know how the kids form the synapses in the brain mm -hmm. at that age I think that's what happened I think I I uh, I coated my brain with music and uh that's been with me you know for the last uh decades and what led me into being a composer was uh being a player right i think that's um i studied classical piano uh, as a kid and i i always had the idea when i was studying that i was playing chords and I could always hear the chords and hear the construction of the chords and the harmony and, and the moving lines and all that stuff. So as a player, even with classical music, I sort of had an intuitive uh, understanding of, of well, music theory and just the sounds of chords and lines and structure. So when I uh, ended up in a composition program at music school um, at Eastman, I kind of already knew a lot of the stuff. I had different names for things, and, and uh, I played some jazz and some fusion, but I had, uh, I had sort of this broad understanding of basically harmony and form, which uh, are the two tools that the composer needs to have, you know, command of harmony and command of mm -hmm. form. I think I was a little weak on uh, the melody and the... And the uh, <laughs> and uh, writing concisely but uh i think it that's what that's what music means to me it's it's the harmony and the form and the emotion and the expression and not just notes on a page right. and as a player i was able to feel that and uh that is a little bit against the classical tradition where the 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 player reads and performs and executes notes um, in a manner that doesn't necessarily show an understanding of that. I mean, right, I think right. you, we all know classical players who 
can't improvise and can't play harmony and can't. Anyway, that's <laughs> I'm getting sidetracked, but you, I I I came, I came to it via classical music, right. and eventually jazz in my in my teens and in fusion and rock, but uh, mainly classical music. And and you know you, you you mentioned jazz, which is you know your Hudson City uh, suite, and you're as a jazz compu- composer and a musician, and I guess you're talking about all this uh, improvisation and stuff. So what really appeals to you about that specific genre of music? What what about jazz connects to you? I guess. Is it more of just kind of breaking out outside the boundaries of classical composition and all the the rules and everything, and it kind of gives you more of a chance to, I guess, improvise, I guess, right? Well, that's another really good question. Uh, That's a tough one. Uh, What appeals to me about jazz, I think, is just the feel. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, truly an American art form, and, you know, being an American and being sort of in the culture, I, I, I heard it. I heard it in the music of the 60s, Herb Albert, and I heard... You know, just uh, uh, standards and, and stuff growing up, and everything from big bands to uh, you know, again, music on TV, very jazzy a lot of right, times. Yeah. You know, think about uh, Batman. Oh yeah, the original one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a blues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I mean, you grow up with that stuff, and it's the the blues, the blues, and uh, the jazz feel sort of is in you, and uh, when you when when I heard Bill Evans. And Chick Corea, as a teenager, I could hear that they were doing, you know, something that was extraordinary. That combined, that combined all this harmony, which I've been, you know, thinking about and hearing. Combining that with just the precision execution and the and the swing and the voicing, and the pianism, the fact that it's so pianistic and mm-hmm. it fits, it plays well, and it's fun to play. That's what really appealed to me about jazz. Plus, I could improvise, which, which uh, really, you know, it helps when you can improvise before you start to learn to play jazz because it sort of can get you over that first hurdle. Right. And uh, so when you're writing something like the Hudson City Suite, uh, what is that process like? You don't have picture like if you're composing for a film. You don't have lyrics like you're com- writing for a song. So what is the start point and how do you, I guess, how did you want to structure it and what was kind of the musical narrative that you were building with it? Well, uh, that's another really good question. <laughs> uh, you've given me three really good questions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, w- I was writing a lot of music that didn't have a, a narrative structure. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I started listening to a lot of Duke Ellington, uh, I mean, I was writing some very progressive jazz, and I thought for some reason I was going back in time and listening to classic jazz more and discovering Duke Ellington um, and I did notice the one thing that, you know, one of the many things that Duke did was write about something. And I always say this, you know, I, that I never did write about anything. I sort of wrote about, you know, chords and melodies and forms and, and ideas and musical ideas right. and trying to convey some, you know, sort of indescribable emotion or content. But uh, Duke was very focused in his uh, delivery. He wrote about a tree. He wrote about a bird. He wrote about his mom. He wrote about the blues. He wrote about the blues. He didn't just write the blues. He wrote right, about yeah. the blues. And so um, uh, I tried to uh, write one small piece that was based on one of his one of his tunes on the Queen Suite called uh, "Lightning Bugs and Frogs" because I really liked the uh, the orchestration idea he did and the simplicity of it. And so I basically uh, kind of copied it. I wouldn't say I, I stole it, but I sort of 
copied the orchestrational, you know, textures and the form, and I played it with my band, and it went down really easily. It sounded great the first time through. It was really cool. Uh, it's a little bit old school, but I said, man, this is really, this is really fun. Um, why don't I do another one? <laughs> and uh, so I did another one called Central Trolley. And I realized at that point I was thinking about what was around me, which was this area I was living in, Jersey City, New Jersey, right. which had formerly been called Hudson City back in the you know, 19th century, and it had a lot of character, old architecture, and a lot of flair, wonderful, interesting people. And I started picturing a trolley and a train, and, you know, this is the sort of the, the uh, uh, quaint, the quaint one, you know, it's a trade song. Yeah, yeah. And then I thought to myself, I don't want to make it a tribute to Duke Ellington, so I'm just going to make it a little more modern. Let's just try something else. And when I finished that, I said, uh, you know, maybe I should just do a suite. Cool. And Prelude is the first thing I did, which is the last tune on the record. Right. I thought that that would be the first tune on the record, Prelude, but then... <laughs> It's kind of a ballad. You don't really want to start off with a ballad. <laughs> so I made the prelude the last tune on the record. And since the trolley is the second tune on the record, and over the next uh, 10, or 10 to 15 years, um, I sort of buried it for, for a minute and then uh, worked on it a little bit. I performed a couple of the pieces, but when I came to L.A., uh, I, had a, I started another band. I started a 10-piece band um, again, and uh, wrote some stuff, and then I decided to finish this suite. I think I wrote four new, five new pieces for it over the course of the last two years, in addition to other stuff for the band, trying to keep in mind that uh, narrative of Hudson City, the overall feel of sort of classic jazz meets modern jazz, and the sort of instrumentation that I'd started clarinet, trumpets, a little kind of a lot of wah-wah uh, trombones, uh, acoustic, and I don't want really any electronics in there. I sort of wanted to give it a, a classic feel, not too broad, but also inject quite a bit of sort of classical, uh, classical modern classical in there mm -hmm. with uh, a bunch of free jazz and stuff too, so it's a real mishmash. But that's sort of, that's how it, how it evolved. It evolved over a kind of a long period of time but uh, with a very solid concept. And that's why I think it works so well as a piece. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the feel, and feel of it. I'm, not, I'm from D.C., but my uncle uh, lives in, uh, in Guttenberg, New Jersey. Sure. And uh, so I, I, we would always go up there. Actually, I was just back there uh, almost two weeks ago. I went back with my girlfriend, and I took her to New York City for the first time. And, and I just love that area right on the Hudson River and everything. So that, that your music definitely... Encaps I don't I didn't live there but it definitely encapsulated just memories of of being there growing up and everything so that that, that was really awesome. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know they're living right next to a uh, Civil War foundry or a, uh, a factory that was making spices or right, yeah. you know on, on the on the site of a former uh, you know a former armory or something. There there's a lot of a lot of stuff there a lot of history. It's a lot older than people think. I know now it's uh, they're all kind of turning them into condos and everything, but it's like my uncle's like, "Oh, this used to be a, a factory, and now they're turning it into condos." So. Yep. Well, um, when I lived there. Those factories were all sort of abandoned, and mm -hmm. it was really sort of uh, you could almost see tumbleweeds. <laughs> and so that's how it felt to me. 
<laughs> well, to to kind of talk about the other side now, you, you you do write for films and and stuff as well. So, do you have to kind of change your process of thinking if you're writing to picture? Um, do you what what do you really focus on to inspire your music? Do you do you like to look at the plot, the characters, the setting? What is kind of the initial thing that kind of grabs you as a musical storyteller if you're writing to picture? Well, as a film composer, you have to then you have to switch personalities. You have to serve the film. Mm -hmm but primarily serve the director. Right. The director will the director will tell you either in very clear English or very weird conceptual terms what they want. Uh, a lot of directors are very musical and have really strong ideas about what to do and a lot of them have are really cool and say, "Hey, just do what you want." And uh that's when you have to turn on the uh the sort of creative uh, narrow concept. Look, look at the uh, picture. Try and think of uh, instruments. You know, I like to think of instruments first. What's my sound palette going to be? People always talk about uh, the palette. Get mm -hmm. your palette going first. Whether you're doing electronics or thinking about uh, acoustic instruments, you have to look at the the uh, amount of musicians or that you can or cannot afford, whether you have to do it all on your computer. Um, try, try and think of the overall sound and then assemble your palette, either in your mind, whether it's you know, oboe and piano or uh, you know, moving electronic bed with uh, bells and uh, an acoustic instrument thrown in there. Think about, think about what you want it to sound like first and then look at the picture uh, the director will tell you when they want music, when they think they want music, when it should start and end, and you can take their word for it, or you can argue with them, and <laughs> usually it's best to do what they want. <laughs> and I found that as a, as a composer, your first job is to serve the director and to try and give them what they want. Right. It's a totally different uh, different head than being a composer, looking at the blank page and writing for yourself. Right. You have to give the director what they want and serve the movie. And don't worry about your create your creativity or your creative impulses. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I talk or focus them. <laughs> focus them in a way that serves serves the picture and doesn't just serve your, uh, you know, your your uh, broad musical concepts. Uh -huh. <laughs> so you were nominated for a Grammy for Coco on the Boulevard. So congratulations on that. Right. That's uh, amazing. Thanks very much. Um, it's terrific. So now you told uh, when you were performing live uh, with uh, at the show the other night, you told the story behind the title of that track, and I thought that was an an awesome story. So I'd love to hear it again because I think it's great. Well, I mean, I'm really glad Coco went on the Boulevard uh, <laughs> because it got me a Grammy nomination. <laughs> Coco was a dog. Uh, I saw him walking across the street, across a, a busy, a very busy four lane highway that happens to go right through Jersey City. Um, he. Uh, was just very sort of snooping around, sniffing around very curiously. He seemed like he had a bit of an attitude. <laughs> I don't know. It just, I, it, this all happened in about a period of five seconds. And then all of a sudden, about 40 feet in front of me, he was on the other side of the street. He just runs into the middle of the street for some reason. I guess he saw something. I don't know. It just, he didn't even look. I mean, not the dogs look, but he didn't look. He just ran right in, right in the middle of the road. He got, he got uh, bumped by a car. Uh, he wasn't really run over, but he was just kind of thrown, and he tumbled, 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 and came to rest uh, right in the middle of the street. Everyone, everyone uh, stopped, and I got out, and a couple other people got out. And we're looking over poor Coco, who's panting and 
looking up at us. He's sort of stunned. I don't think he was hurt. Um, and suddenly we see this guy walking across the street trying to come in to meet us. <laughs> I said to him, uh, hey, is this your dog? And he looks at me, and he looks at the dog, and he looks at me, and he looks back at the dog and says, oh, Coco, I told you not to go in the boulevard. <laughs> and that was just, that just lit it up for me. I just thought that was pretty, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love so we took we put we put the dog in our I have to had I had a little pickup truck so we threw the dog in the back of my pickup truck and he rode with me it was basically about 200 yards to the vet was, <laughs> which happens to be next to a strip club I don't think either of those buildings are there anymore but uh, this is quite a neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> yeah, strip club next to the vet yeah <laughs> that's an awesome story I love how right. music gets its origin sometimes. Um, but also to talk about, you've also been composing. Your compose besides your composing career, you've also have probably one of the the longest running gigs in show business as a featured band member on Conan. And I've been watching yep. Conan for a very long time, and you guys are such an essential part of that show. Oh. I've been to two tapings of Conan since moving out here, and I saw you guys uh, on tour back in D.C. when you guys stopped there. Uh, oh, that was awesome! That was awesome. Yeah, I know that was amazing, and uh, you guys kill it every time. So, what is what is it like being part of? A group like that for so long has uh, the dynamic ever ch has it changed? Have you kind of found the rhythm and kind of stayed with it? Like, what is what is it like being part of that kind of group for almost twenty years now? So over twenty it's years. It's amazing. It's I mean, it's like being part of a group, and I think that we might be one of the only TV bands that feels like we're really, really part of the show. Yeah, it's... we're not just a band that plays and comes and goes and provides. Uh, a vibe. We're actually part of the show. That's always been Kona's outlook, and we've changed our music according to the show or according to popular tastes uh, to a certain degree. But you know, the band has gone through a couple different metamorphoses with basically the same pers pers per personnel. Yeah. And um, we started off playing a lot of uh, swing music, kind of like a classic uh, Tonight Show type old. Style Tonight Show stuff with Max. Max really had this idea of a, of a, uh, um, I guess a kind of a retro meets rock and roll idea. A smaller band with mm -hmm. a big band style. I used to play a lot of synthesizer horns to augment our three horns out front, and uh, then we got more into sort of rock and roll, more of the Jersey rock stuff, which uh, came nat very naturally to these guys. Right. Yeah. And not so much to me, being from Ohio, but <laughs> but uh, I learned all that, and then we uh, got more into, I guess, funk and R&B. We all we'd always been doing some stacks in Motown with Max, and then when Jimmy took over the band, uh, we're we're doing a lot of R&B and uh, blues and rock and roll and uh, funk. So we've gone. We've we've gone through a lot of different stylistic changes, but we we have definitely settled into a very kicking uh, blues rock funk R and B uh, set now. We've got a lot of a lot of material, and we just play pretty much nonstop through the show. We play through all the commercials. We play all the guest walk-ons. Obviously, we play to and from commercial, but we play during the commercial too to right. keep the audience going. And we do a long warm-up, and we do the opening theme and the closing theme, and it's a lot of music in this show. And Absolutely. it's always been really a challenge and really fun to do that. Really, really. 
and then every time I, when I first saw you guys, I think live was the first time in DC because I, I lived on the East Coast. I never got, or I never got to see a taping in New York when you guys were up there. But just, I mean, you guys, and especially, I was surprised how La Bamba has some pretty great uh, vocal chops as well. <laughs> La Baba and Pender, Mark Pender, yeah, the Love Man, and you know, between <laughs> between uh, and Jerry Vivino sings too, and, yeah, uh, Jimmy of course, mm-hmm. and uh, I've actually sung some backgrounds back at about twenty years ago. They had me singing some background vocals, and <laughs> quickly realized that I can't really do that very well. <laughs> but I, but like... I, I, I play guitar in the show. Uh, you know, we have all kinds of different stuff going on. And the, the I love how you guys are really part of the show as well as in terms of not just music but skits and stuff too and and I love uh, Healy After Dark that was one of my favorite. Healy After Dark was was uh, probably the pinnacle of my career <laughs> and just recently you guys were been to kind of make light of the Grammy nomination coming in just doing some stuff that was really fun too that was great that's on YouTube with uh, tens of thousands of hits which yeah was really surprising to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that's that's some awesome stuff as well. But uh, well, that's Cohen's outlook. I mean, he he involves everyone in the show. I mean, he's he's got you know a lot of his writers used to have recurring characters. Right. Yeah. Brian uh, McMahon was always do. one of my favorites. <laughs> McCann, Brian Stack, and then you got Jose Arroyo doing all used to do all kinds of stuff. Uh, we're doing more. I would say we're doing less of the characters, more of the uh, more videos, uh, more sort of viralish videos. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we're changing with the times, uh, I guess. <laughs> I miss, I miss the characters. I miss the fake guests and the guys <laughs> in the audience. <laughs> you know? Yeah, calling in the audience. You can't do everything, right? Um, you guys have a great balance going, though. I love it, though. It's still, I watch you guys every night, and it's, I've always been Team Coco, so it's always been. Team Coco, <laughs> go. Well, I mean, you've got the internet now, too. Which, right. You guys have I a mean, huge most following. People. Yeah. Most people watch the show on the internet, and it looks great on the internet. It looks better than it does on TV. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And uh, I just love being on the on the West Coast because I have the TBS feed from DirecTV, so I get to watch it at 8 o'clock. I don't have to wait till. 11. Right. I heard a lot of people do that. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. <laughs> but uh, to wrap up, I always like to ask composers uh, this one question. Um, and since I always you know, interview a lot of film composers, it's going to be film-related. Uh, so if you could score any film ever made with no disrespect uh, to the original composer or the score itself, which film would you choose? Well, that's easy. Taxi Driver. Oh, that's the quickest <laughs> answer I've ever heard. <laughs> Either that or Sweet Smell of Success. I wow. mean, I mean, both of those are jazz scores. Yeah. And that would be my dream. My dream film score would be to do the next Taxi Driver or the next Sweet Smell of Success or the next Death Wish. Oh, yeah. Uh... Herbie Hancock. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just things like that. I mean, I think it's, it is Herbie Hancock. Yeah, just things like that. Um, that that seems so almost ordinary at the time, but have become sort of an, an iconic sound. The New York sound. Yeah, yeah. The uh, hip uh, hip jazz sound. I don't think you hear that a lot now, I, and uh, yeah, I I miss that. I I mean I, one of my I mean I love Henry Mancini, and uh, I think one of my favorites also uh which i was int- i didn't really know about him until a composer i interviewed introduced me to his music eddie sauter who did mickey one which is kind yes. of it's an amazing score i love that score so much i love it <laughs> just a well, great Sauter's a ma- uh, that, that's a masterful uh that's a masterful writer um mancini all of those yeah yeah 
And when you think about how music used to be written in the studios, uh, there were so many skilled composers who were actually writing notes on paper and then taking them to a band the next day and recording live in the studio to picture with the best the best musicians in the world from everywhere from a quartet to a uh, 65 piece orchestra studio yeah, orchestra yeah. and doing doing basically this American genre you know jazz pop I guess it would be uh, jazzy pop music from the 50s which is sounds to us like jazz now so mm-hmm. I think we're really missing that missing out on uh, a lot of stuff now that isn't recorded live or that isn't uh, done with horns True. that isn't that yeah. isn't swinging that isn't sort of Americana in that way absolutely yeah we need more of that and I'm glad that we have you writing that kind of music still so <laughs> well we have Americana Americana is now uh, you know jangly uh, folk rock based um, you know the band and Bob Dylan and oh, yeah, things yeah. that branch off from that, but we don't we don't have the Americana side that that is that uh, studio jazz and uh, I guess uh, post swing era post bebop jazz um, jazz thing happening on films and on TV. But you know what? The thing I, I love the theme from Homeland and stuff like that that's starting to. To, oh yeah, to, Sean Callery. Yeah, that and uh, yeah, and I love Jeff Beale's music to uh, you know House the basic things, starting with Rome and House of Cards, yeah. and, and really sort of stretching the boundaries sonically, harmonically. Starting when I start hearing interesting harmonies on uh, on TV, that's when I really really start to my ears start to perk up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard uh, Mark Isham's stuff from Mob City. I interviewed him, and he kind of talked about that going back to that kind of band. Uh, mentality uh, for kind of old old kind of school jazz and they did yeah that's a really great job too there well that's good to hear from Mark Isham I, mean, I used to listen to him in the 80s when he was doing uh, the craziest electronic affected yeah. <laughs> uh, music it was amazing his stuff yeah he's, really amazing yeah yeah well I did a I played on a really interesting film score uh, over the summer I mean it was uh well, you did uh, you did Las Vegas didn't you I did Las Vegas yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, we we did it live in the studio with uh, organ. I played organ, Fender Rhodes, and clavinet, bass, and drums. We added some percussion the second day, and we did about 33 different cues, and it was basically the band sort of jamming. That's awesome. We <laughs> soloing, and we had, you know, we had uh, in and out uh, points, and we had, uh, um, we had uh, defined melodies, but there was a lot of blowing and soloing, and it's got a really live feel, and you can hear it, you know. It's, you can hear it, yeah, and yeah. I, I would love to do more movies that that have that live feeling that are actually recorded live to picture with an idea of, uh, with the idea that it's going to have that feel. I just love that project. And I, I can't think of another movie recently that has that. True, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But, um, Scott, thank you so much uh, for your time today. It's been an absolute blast and so much fun talking to you. And uh, it's a real pleasure and honor. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you.